I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. This week on Stageworthy, I'm joined by Joshua Kilimnik, Shannon Murtaugh, and Colette Richardson of the Shifting Ground Collective. They joined me to talk about their production of Merrily We Roll Along, the importance of making space for emerging talent, developing new musicals, and much more. Here's our conversation. Joshua, Colette, and Shannon, thank you for for joining me. Um, You are the Shifting Ground Collective, and uh, there's so many things that we could talk about, um, but I suppose the most imminent and pressing thing that we should be talking about is uh, is, uh, Merrily We Roll Along. Um, And of course, there is a very high-profile production, or there was. Did it close, or is it still going on Broadway? But this is a show that legendarily... Um, opened on Broadway in the 70s or 80s and disastrously closed very quickly after it opened. Um, uh, George Costanza uh, in one of the lead roles, the actor for George Costanza in one of the lead roles. But um, uh, the show, I think, has found a new audience in the years since then. Tell me, what it, for anybody who doesn't know, what is... Merrily We Roll Along, and what attracted you to this show? I'm going to throw that right Yeah, I'm going to say that's very John's question right there. God, you wear one company t-shirt, and all of a sudden you're the lead Sondheim guy. Um, <laughs> no, I, um, yeah, Merrily We Roll Along is a really fascinating show. It opened on Broadway in 1981 uh, and closed after a whopping 16 performances. Uh, it was this, you know, the, the sort of end of this huge arc between Stephen Sondheim and Hal Prince on Broadway throughout the seventies, they had these back to back sort of critically acclaimed hits with company and follies and a little night music and Pacific overtures and Sweeney Todd. Um, and coming off of that, they came out with Merrily We Roll Along, which kind of eluded audiences with its framing narrative. It's this musical about these three characters and their friendship and over the span of 20 years, how their friendship and their ideals sort of ebb and flow and kind of disintegrate throughout their lives. And it tells this in reverse chronological order. So you start with them as 40 year olds and then with each scene sort of take a few years back to see the event that led up to what you just saw. By the end of the show, they're all these 20 year olds and they're talking about how beautiful their life is going to be. And you're sitting there in the audience going, ah, hell. Um, but this framing narrative was uh it it lost a lot of audiences and because they had been these huge sort of uh glowing beacons of broadway innovation 
they sort of eviscerated it. They took that little stumble and they sort of tore them down. Uh, and Stephen Sondheim almost quit musical theater over it. It took them uh, 13 years of rewriting uh, to finally land on the version of the show as it is seen today. Um, and it feels like in the past couple of years, this show has kind of been entering its redemption arc. There's this really fantastic production on Broadway, as you mentioned, directed by Maria Friedman, that is really putting the show in this great new light. And I know that I personally think this is one of Stephen Sondheim's greatest scores of all time. There's so much energy and zip and passion, and there's these really beautiful words of wisdom and of passion and of excitement and of love throughout it that I think have become so prescient. And I'm just very excited about the opportunity uh, to be able to bring it to Toronto audiences. Toronto hasn't seen the show in a really long time, and I think it's really exciting to be putting it forward. Um, Shan, Colette, I don't know if one of y'all want to start to jump on the question of how it sort of came across our plate, because that's its own uh, fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, so uh, Colette uh first i guess she was the first one that kind of brought us all together she uh had initially programmed it as a part of um a university student theater group program um as at well i'll let colette maybe talk more about the that part of it but uh josh uh had applied to direct this production josh and i had gone to school together uh, a number of years prior um, and he had asked me to come on to assistant direct. Um, and that was all fine and dandy. And that was in, what was that? 2021. Is that right? Yeah. 2021. Um, so we had started, yeah. So we had started working on this production together. Um, and then a little thing called the pandemic got in the way of that. Uh, the, uh, the Omicron virus or the Omicron variant rather, um, caused us to shut down the production. Um, and when we had the opportunity to reopen, the the student group that we were working with um, had decided that it maybe wasn't the best fit for them any longer, but we had ca- we cared too much about the work that we were doing. Um, we always joked that we were, were the, the group that refused to quit. We were like, we're going to do this. We have to do this. Um, so we decided to take the project independently um and then Colette do you want to pick up from there what happened once we went independent yeah um so we were we were doing it on our own um and just as we set up to apply for the rights ourselves um we discovered they were no longer available um which was crushing after we had seemingly beaten all the odds and finally gotten all of our ducks in a row to get this dream project together. Um, And, you know, there was a period of time where we were sort of talking about, you know, what it would look like to postpone it and all of these things. And as we were having those conversations, the three of us kind of looked at each other and went, what if we just started a company? Like, we clearly see that there is such a gap in the industry for emerging artists to have a space to cut their teeth and and showcase their work at the beginning of their professional careers. Um, And so we started talking about that and and the company kind of grew out of that initial production of Merrily. And so in a lot of ways, 
this production feels like a little bit of a homecoming for us um, because so much of what this company is and what our friendship is has sort of mirrored the trajectory of the musical, at least at least the good parts. Um, so it, it definitely feels very personal to us uh, at this point. So how how did I mean you guys talked about a little alluded a little bit about about how you came together as a group but how did how did this 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 group that has become so determined to do this particular show uh, uh, come together and and what is what do you think it is about either yourselves or the show that has made you so determined to do it. Well, the, the truth be told, it was really that we had all of these sort of disparate friendships that kind of congealed when the opportunity to start working on the show arose. Uh, I wanted to bring Shannon on as my AD, and so I uh, told Colette that I wanted to set up a Zoom meeting between the two of them. Uh, and uh, as we were all three of us talking, I sort of stepped away for five minutes to go do something, and when I came back, I was informed by the two of them that they were now best friends. Uh, and that was kind of how it all clicked into place. Uh, and and very truly, the reason that we formed Shifted Ground Collective, as much it is, as it is about this belief that we have about inflating the Canadian musical theater scene and sort of trying to stoke the fire that is the musical theater community in the city, it very much is predicated upon the fact that we are just a group of best friends and that we all have these really similar, powerful ideals about the art we want to make and the community we want to exist in. And that's really been the thing that's sort of kept this initiative al alive. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think, oh. uh, oh. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I think that we discovered that we all feel the same way about the way we want this industry to look. Um, and all three of us are the kinds of people that refuse to be told that they have no stake. Um, we're all just just a little bit too stubborn and determined for our own good. And I, I think that in a lot of ways, that's not only where the company started, but where the friendship started is, is we all kind of looked at each other and went, there's a world out there where not only are there musicals happening in Canada all the time, and that we really have as big of a musical theater scene as, as exists in New York or in London, but that there is a spot for artists at the beginning of their careers to have a voice, and that there's not this sort of expectation that you can enter the career at, at your career at the midpoint um that there's somewhere for you to to start out and to learn and to try things um and I think I think that connection really drove us um and it kind of spiraled in a really exciting way I don't think any of us were expecting to get to where we are now when we first started this um but we've just been very lucky that that we found a community of young artists in this city who are also really excited about the idea of building that kind of a community and space for the emerging voice. Um, and and so it's been a really wild journey. Um, and I know I speak for the three of us when I say that it, we're all very grateful to be doing it together.
I just... Yeah, I think um, we uh, we sat around for a long time just talking about the, the how we kind of came together again. Um, we sat around for a long time talking about, you know, wow, I wish the industry did this or I wish we could do this. And we were like, well, let's just make that then. I feel like there's there's uh, this conception that you have to wait for your opportunity to start making art or being professional in art. And instead of waiting, we just created one for ourselves and for ideally and hopefully a lot more artists like us that are trying to get their foot in the door and want to create art that not only pays the bills, but also fills the soul. And I think that's also a a hard thing to find when you're when you're 20 and you need to you need to pay rent and you need to take the job because that's just what you have to do. It's I think that part of what we want to create is a place to not only be able to start those careers, but create art that is meaningful to all of us. And that's where my early kind of really fits into that puzzle. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, when people are starting out in this industry, um, it is hard to find uh, the things to do, right? I mean, you can do like, you can go to community theater and get and start doing things there. And, and, and people, some people will say that's, that's paying your dues, but it also isn't because community theater is different than professional theater. Um, there's different, uh, there's a stigma to it in Canada that you don't find in some other places. Uh, and it's hard to get, it's hard to get things going if, if that's what you're, that's the only thing you can do. Um, and especially where musicals are concerned, um, indie on the indie scene, it is very difficult to get a musical produced. They often have very large casts, um, which means that uh, that costs a lot of money. It's hard to get people to do it. It's hard to find a stage, an orchestra, all of this stuff. It's expensive to do a musical. Um, so when you guys are looking at all of the things that, that go into putting this musical together, which what seems the easiest to you and what seems the hardest about producing a show like Merrily We Roll Along? I like, oh, I like that we're all, we all collectively started laughing at what's the easiest. Cause it's such a trick question. It's none of it. None of it's easy. <laughs> Especially because, you know, like we are just starting out and like this company's only a little under two years into operation. So you know, shifting ground is very much our five to nine and we still need to have our nine to fives. So I think that that's the, the hardest thing is, you know, we need to, we need to be able to do everything else so we can do shifting ground, which is the thing that we all love and care about so, so deeply. What makes it easy. And this is so cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyways. What makes it easy is that it's the three of us doing it together. Um, I think if this was anybody else, I, I don't think I could do it because it just like there's something so special and electric between the three of us. We're all so on the same page, even when we're not like we're all fighting for the same goal and we all we're all willing to hear each other out. Um, But none of it's easy. Nothing about actually producing an indie theater is easy. Um, I think, yeah what makes it easy besides the three of us is that especially for Merrily, we have such an incredible team of artists that are so dedicated to putting this thing up the way that we've always envisioned it being. We have, you know, our cast of 15 performers. We have an orchestra of 12. We have a huge production team. There's about 40 of us all together working on this production. 
and it's for the love of art. And that I think that's just so, so amazing and so special. Yeah, I would I would a thousand percent agree with that. I think really the easiest thing about it is that passion is like the, the sparking that commitment and that energy and that dedication to the thing. All of the work we've been able to do, we've been so fortunate because everyone who's been on board has been there purely with the love of the art with them. It's just been this, there's been this huge, we at Shifting Ground Collective, we've seen like this huge desire to participate in musical theater and just to be around musical theater. We've started doing these uh, semi-annual musical theater pub nights, which is just a community initiative in which we bring people over to the Transac, uh, give some performances of some local shows and uh, have an open musical theater themed piano bar at the end. And we've seen so many people come out to those things and just say, there's nothing like this. There's no place for me to be able to just hang out with musical theater people and enjoy musical theater together without, you know, sitting at a musical and paying 50 bucks for a ticket. It, it really, it, that I, I think truly the easiest thing about this is just that huge rallying cry that comes from every direction of people who want to see it happen from behind the scenes and from the audience and from those on stage, everyone who's just yearning to see these things happen in the city. I think that's, that's really the, the, that's what really lights the fire under your ass. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's turn our attention. <clears throat> excuse me. Let's turn our attention to um, something uh, uh, more developmental. Um, let's talk about uh, statistics. Um, tell me about this, this musical that, uh, that you're uh, uh, developing or helping to develop. I think I'll take this one because I've been attached to this project for the longest. Um, so Statistics is a musical by uh, composer playwright Shreya Ja, who is phenomenal, brilliant. And honestly, like we talk about doing two things at once. Shreya is simultaneously composing new musicals and in medical school. Um, I frankly don't understand how she does it. Um, but it follows pre-medical student Rose as she is trying to write her essays to get into med school, um, and also uh, real-life scientist Rosalind Franklin um, and her quest and work on the discovery of DNA and how these stories sort of parallel each other and how Rose takes inspiration from Rosalind's work and ultimately through Rosalind's story learns how to find her own passion for her work. Um, it's got some really cool themes um, of female friendship and hustle culture and uh, passion for what you're doing and and all of these really academic stressors. Um, and we came on the project actually because I was in statistics when it was done at the Toronto Fringe Festival a couple of years ago. Um, and that's how I met Shreya. And we just really clicked. And I said, this is a great project for Shifting Ground, if you'd be interested. Um, and it's the first sort of big developmental process that we've got ongoing. Um, so we're definitely learning a lot about how to develop a musical by working on it. Um, but I think that we are so excited about the prospect of getting work by Canadian composers out there, especially these like emerging folks that people haven't heard from. Um, and statistics is a really, really cool show. Um, so it's been it's been quite a journey. Um, we're still in quite early stages with it. Um, 
we had a meeting with Shreya a couple of weeks ago, um, a couple of days ago. Time is bizarre. Um, and she sort of got a new outline for the next the next draft. Um, but we're we're super stoked about about where it's going. Uh, and hopefully we can get a full two act version of the show on Toronto stages in the next couple of years. The goal, at least. Now, what does what does the development of a musical look like as you approach it? What is what does it look like to you? What do you do? Um, how uh, do you participate in that as far as uh, the shifting ground dynamic goes? Yeah, I can hop on this one. Uh, developmental musical theater is a really fascinating uh, sort of stage for the art form, uh, particularly in Canada. It feels like a lot of Canadian musicals will sort of have their workshop process they'll sort of they'll go into their rehearsals and they'll do their little their music stand readings and then they'll go into production and once it's in production boom that's it you're done and it 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 stunts the growth of musical theater a lot because it you look at the american musical theater pipeline and they have these years and years and years of workshops and all these various casts and out of town tryouts and different versions of the show and sometimes once the show has made its you know broadway debut it'll keep getting rewrites and so for us a lot of the developmental process is taking this writer on seeing the material that they brought us and then taking as long as it requires to pair them with all of these, all of the collaborators that'll help bring something out of them. At its heart, musical theater is a very collaborative art form. You need all of these disparate opinions and all these people in different fields to sort of check off on it and to go like, yeah, from this department, this is what I'm lacking, or this is what's really coming forward. And, you know, you you need all those eyes eyesights just to bring a piece of art to its most optimal form. So for us, a developmental process really is uh, we take a writer sort of under our wing with their project, uh, and we offer them the ability to find the resources that they would need to bring their project to completion. We will uh, we have staged uh, developmental readings in the past. Um, we've paired our writers with dramaturgs and with directors who have helped sort of point that show into future directions. Um, all three of us are also uh, artists ourselves, and so we offer insights whenever they might apply from our end. Uh, particularly, Colette, with statistics, having been in a previous production, has that you know inside window from this musical, has this idea of these particular characters' arcs and and sort of where they could go and where sort of different versions of that show feels like some feels like they could have gone further. And so, yeah, it's, it's really just giving that writer as many insights as possible and try to get them to that position where they feel, okay, I am confident with leaving this where it is. This is the final version. This is the finished product as it were. Um, that's kind of the shape of it, I guess. And it changes a lot from uh, Josh, collaborators. The, 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 that, that process that you described, sorry, <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, Colette. Uh, Josh, that process you described of, you know, a show getting a workshop and then a production is pretty much uh, how Canadian theater tends to work. And in fact, it's so bad that once a show gets a production, it's almost immediately forgotten because it's not pre- performed ever again. Um, we don't we don't tend to give our productions life and there's no path for a life after initial production because so many of the theaters in our country, in our nation are looking for just a premiere 
of a show and it's hard to find a, sh- a way to give shows a future after they've been performed. Um, uh, yeah, gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't say, I couldn't agree with you more. I was talking with uh, a friend of mine over at, at Bad Hats about uh, Alice, which had its uh, fourth successful production uh, at Soul Pepper this winter. Uh, and I was talking to him about, you know, the state of remounts and how he felt about like, you know, this musical getting so many remounts. And he said something to the effect of, yeah, last, the last run was the first time it felt like we got it. And, and he kept going into this idea, like it's so invaluable to be able to be given another shot, to be able to keep working, to keep trying again. And yeah, that's something that we all really feel strongly about this ability, this, this chance for a musical to not just be put in a box when it's done. I know Colette in particular, you've been very big and outspoken about the idea of like licensing Canadian musical theater. Yeah, I, I think there is so much really phenomenal work being done by Canadian artists. Um, but we don't have a framework for how to get the word about our Canadian shows out beyond the cities in which they premiere, whether that be to the rest of the country or to the rest of North America or internationally. Um, and it's, it's definitely a, a sort of tough thing to crack since for a, for a lot of productions, like a Broadway run is such a huge part of that, like marketing for licensing to colleges, high schools, amateur theater groups, whatever, whatever you want to, you want to look at it. Um, But what I've been really excited about is how cast albums uh, have started to play into that, particularly with um, this sort of rise of musical theater fandom culture on social media. Um, I am a huge advocate for Canadian musical theater cast albums because I think that is the easiest way to get new work out there. Um, so that it's discoverable, so that high school students can beg their drama teachers to produce it, so that it is licensable, um, and we can really start getting the Canadian musical theater voice to be a bigger part of the of the canon. Um, I know that the three of us have definitely talked about that being a part of of something we want to do. I know that's quite a ways down the line for us at, at this point, but it's it's definitely a problem. And unless we start thinking about how we can make when you do a production only you know however many seats in the theater there's only so many people who can see it right so you have to start thinking about ways to make that work known to other markets otherwise there there won't be another life because because you know the audience in the city that is aware of what it is has already seen it Yeah, we have a really bad uh, uh, habit in Canada now of shows uh, ending, right? I mean, we most of our theaters are not for profit. They program a season, and they um, a show can only run for so long. And in fact, it's unusual. You know, if you compare with like the New York system, the Tony Awards, you see a show wins a Tony Award, you can go see that show still. Um, in Canada, a show wins a Dora Award or whatever the city equivalent of that is. It's already closed and it may have closed months ago. Um, it's so we haven't had. I mean, there are a few shows that have run for a long time before years ago. Phantom of the Opera ran for a long time. The Miserable ran for a long time. And even before that, um, Godspell, the original produ- Toronto production of Godspell, where so many uh, uh, amazing Toronto people started, it ran for years. 
um, starting at like the Royal Alex and then transferring to another theater, it ran for years and we don't really have that opportunity anymore. Um, the only people who could do it are maybe the Mervishes and they, they haven't run a show for years in quite some time. Six months, I think was the longest they've run a show for six, eight months, um, in, in recent memory. So that whole like uh, show, a, a show having a life that runs and more and more people get to see it, um, is, is kind of gone in the Canadian theater scene. Um, which is really, uh, too bad and call that, I think the, your idea of like having cast albums to have people like record cast albums to make them available is a great way to keep a show going. Um, and I think that that's the reason why like uh, all of those shows existed. I mean, if you look at Les Miserables, it was, it was an album. Jesus Christ Superstar was an album before it was ever a show. Miss Saigon was an album before it was ever a show. All of these shows, it is a great way to, to get the show out there, um, I, but I don't think that I think that, that you're right. There, we don't have that infrastructure here. There is, and both of their eyes are about to roll at me so hard. There is a, a a very wonderful Canadian musical that I adore called Onyegin that I saw at the Musical Stage Company in 2017. I keep talking about the show because sh- just one day in the future, Shifting Ground's going to do it. I swear. Um, but it was the show I saw in 2017 on a trip with my school, and I have almost no memory of beyond the fact that I enjoyed it. And at some point in the pandemic, I came across a cast album of some of the songs from Onyegin in its original run. And over the, over like the summer of lockdown, I kept listening to the album on repeat. I just absolutely fell in love with it. And it, if that's not a testament to the idea of just how powerful a cast album can be in reinforcing someone's love for a show i i I don't know what else there is i think it's not only important to act as sort of a, a a publicity measure or to get a musical sort of marketable or to get it more productions but more than anything it's just to reinforce and be able to spread the good work that happens in this country the fact that beautiful art happens here and then dissipates and then just kind of vanishes and you can't really touch on that again unless you unless that theater happened to catch an archival or if you stop the composer on the street and ask him to play through the score like it's <laughs> it's really it's it, it's 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 very limiting to especially with musical theater which is you know so different from the canadian play system and in, in the sense that you can't just rent out a copy of a libretto from a library and get the whole experience you need the score to come with it you'll need choreography to come with it you'll need staging and you'll need a full ensemble to be able to effectively deliver it that's where cast albums come in and help sort of bridge that experience that way you can read through the libretto play the song when it comes up and you'll get something closer to the full experience that is really that's key to the survival of the musical fundamentally Absolutely. I mean, people people want to hear cast out or people want to hear musicals, not read them. You know what I mean? Like you want obviously you want to see it. But if you can't, you, it, it's just not the same experience to read a libretto with no music accompanying it. Um, and so much of what musical the- why musical theater is so powerful is the music. It's what music can do. It's something that no matter what language you speak, no matter where you come from, music has a way of moving you in a way that other things just can't. And I think that's what's so, so magical about musical theater, especially I would love to see more cast albums and I would love to see Shifting Ground get to a place where we can be actively turning out cast albums, if nothing else, because I think our composers are so 
brilliant. And I just want to listen to them all the time. Like I often hum songs that Shreya has has played for me, like on loop. I don't I don't mean to. I'll just find myself all of a sudden singing like the one line that I can't get out of my head. And people are like, what's that? And I'm like, ah, statistics. And I want you to know more about it so badly. And I hope that you will see it and also hear it soon. You know, one thing that that cast albums do is they don't they don't only um, keep a show going. They don't only keep the memory of a production going. They are also often a gateway to the theater. Um, my earliest memories, I think it was the gateway for me to theater was listening to the cast albums that my parents had um, at home. So I, I listened to these shows and eventually as a kid, and then I realized, oh, these string together as a show. And that's how, that's really how it was. My gateway drug was cast albums. Right. And that's how I discovered the theater. Um, it's a, it, it, it is a great way to keep a show going. Um, and I think for a lot of us, I mean, I think everybody, a lot of people in this room probably listened to the Hamilton soundtrack for ages before they ever got the opportunity to see the show. Um, Joshua's shaking his head like he doesn't know what the show is. I, I don't think I've, sorry, Hamilton, like yeah. Ontario? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Hamilton, Ontario. Oh, um, great. Okay, good. Hey, Canadian <laughs> Musical Theater. Love to hear it. Canadian Musical Theater. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um also, I mean, you you mentioned Bad Hats, and Bad Hats in some ways has has managed to 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 grasp onto one of the only ways to get a show remounted in Canada, and that is to do it at at Christmas time in the holiday season when everybody's putting on shows for kids and people want to do the same thing they did last year because it's part of the tradition, and so it's a great way to that's a, that's a, that's that's probably one of the only ways in this country that you can do that. Um. I want to turn now to each of you and and, and ask a little bit about um, how you uh, discovered the theater, how you came to the theater. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about on this show is to be able to talk with 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 the artists about how they discovered theater and how they decided that that's what they wanted to do. So, um, uh, uh, Shannon, I'm going to start with you. Um, could you tell me what your theater origin story is? Absolutely. Um, so uh, I started, well, performing was kind of my, my gateway to what I'm doing now. Um, I started dancing when I was like two. I looked at my parents and I was like, I want to be a ballerina. And they went, okay, I guess. Um, and put me in dance classes. And I really, I fell in love with dancing and being on stage pretty quickly. Um, and then when I was eight for my mom's birthday, uh, we went to see Mamma Mia at Theater Aquarius. And, and we were in the front row, like front row center. And I don't think I've ever smiled so much in my life. I was just so enthralled with what I saw on stage. And I just, I fell in love so immediately. And I looked at my parents after the show and I was like, I want to do that. And they're like, what? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know how, but I'm going to like, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to make, I want to be a part of something that makes people feel the way that I feel right now. And I, I decided that when I was very, very young and I never looked back. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have parents that always supported me through everything I did. And, and you know, they looked at this kind of bright eyed, big dreaming kid and went, OK, you can do it a thousand percent. We believe that you can do it because you're setting your mind to it. Um, and then from there, I just I, I took every opportunity I could to be on stage and 
uh, it wasn't really until I got to university that I started to explore the possibility of what a backstage or offstage career could look like. Um, and uh, I, I started producing when I was, oh, I want to say like 19 or 20. Um, because uh, uh, one of one of the people that I was working for at the time was like, I really think that you'd be quite good at this. And I think you'd really enjoy this and kind of pushed me to to produce something on my own. And he was right. And I owe so much to him. Brian Goldberg, if you're listening, that one's for you. Um, but yeah, I, I fell in love with just being being a part of something that made me feel bigger than I was. And nothing has ever made me feel the way that theater has. Mm -hmm. um, and when things get hard, I often think about sitting in, in that theater watching Mamma Mia going, but it was so special and important then. And it's it, like, that's the thing that keeps pulling me back. Even when, you know, when we're up till two in the morning writing a grant or we're coming home from rehearsals at midnight or what may have you, um, it's it's that feeling that's always brought me back to right. I want to do this because it's so so magical, and there's nothing like yeah. it. Shannon, when you were, I mean, you had very supportive parents about the your 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 arts uh, habit. Um, was did, did you ever get pushback from other people people outside the home, like guidance counselors, things like that? Did that ever happen to you? A hundred percent. And I kept saying. Too bad. I'm going to do it. Um, I remember when I was in high school, I was picking my my grade 12 courses. And I was like, great. So I'm going to take music and I'm going to take voice and I'm going to take this, that and the other. And they're like, but like, maybe you should take a science. And I went, why? Why would I do that? I'm not going to go into science. They're like, but like as a backup, I'm like, I don't need a backup. I'm going to go into theater at point yeah. blank. I was so, so adamant. Um, and like my parents always supported that. Like I... I remember there was once I was like, maybe like if I don't go into theater, I'll be a lawyer. My mom was like, but you're going to go into theater. <laughs> like, like even my parents were like, what's the point of having the backup? Like you're going to make it work yeah. in some capacity or another. And hey, I'm doing it yeah. now. And thank God my mom pushed me to do it. And my dad pushed me to do it and, you know, supported me and came to every show and and woke up at five o'clock in the morning to <laughs> take me to dance competitions and drove like took time off work to drive me to auditions and you know i i'm so so grateful yeah, <laughs> yeah. awesome awesome uh colette um i'm gonna turn the question to you um if you could tell me uh tell us uh your theater origin story yeah you know i always i always struggle with this question because my honest answer is i don't remember <laughs> um Theater was always a big part of my my mom's life. And so it was just kind of something that was always around when I was growing up. You know, when I was a kid, I was I was watching Annie and Sound of Music and like every animated Disney musical that existed. And and so it it just it became such a huge part of my life before I even realized it. And I kind of I kind of blinked and I and I I I was just here. I was this is this is what I did. Um, but I think the thing that really drew me to it was. Um, I'm neurodivergent and I have like the biggest feelings out of anyone I have ever met in my entire life. These two will, will corroborate me on this. Um, and I always found that theater and musical theater specifically was the only place where I ever felt understood in terms of my emotional experience of the world. 
because I was so used to being in in other places in my life where people would tell me that I was too much or I was too loud or I, I was taking up too much space. And this this idea of of feeling and experiencing the world on this like deep, intense level at all the time was something that felt so foreign to so many people, especially when I was a kid. And and so musical theater kind of became this safe place for me where it was not only normal, but encouraged and celebrated to think about and experience the world in like all its bright shining colors. Um, and I, I just really, I really latched onto it. Like, like Shan, I, I didn't really ever think about doing anything else. Um, I saw Wicked when I was 13 because my dad had a business trip to New York and we all went. Uh, and like, that was it. I was like 13 years old and I decided and like every waking minute of my life from that point on was like, how are we going to make as much of this part of our lives as possible? Um, I also fell into producing really young. I started producing when I was 15 because um, I couldn't find any theater in town that wanted to hire a 14 year old to work on a professional show. So I said, OK, I'll just do my own then. Um, but I think, I think for me, it all, it all just really comes down to feeling like there is a space where I don't have to put myself into a really small little box and where people are going to appreciate and celebrate and that there is, there is something good that can come out of me and my intense, volatile, wild, emotional, internal experience. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Um, Joshua, what is your theater origin story? Tell me about uh, how you uh, came to this. Yeah, um, I've been uh, an actor for most of my life. Uh, I I started acting professionally when I was about uh, three or four years old. Um, when I was two years old, my parents saw me, uh, watching the wiggles on television and mimicking it back exactly as it was happening. And, uh, both of them never having known anything about the world of the arts whatsoever, sort of looked at each other and went, ah, seems like he'll have fun. Uh, and so I started working, uh, in television when I was like four years old, um, and sort of uh, made a career for myself as a as a teenager, especially sort of working in that field. And sort of as I was doing that, as I was getting into that world of performance, kind of always did uh, theater as an extracurricular thing, as a way to sort of pass time, you know, the summer camps, the school musical, et cetera, that kind of thing. Always just, uh, I just figured, you know, fun to act and perform and to keep that going. Um, and... There was there was a, a strange. I really thought um, my, my my plan was that I was going to go into film school and uh, become a director, and that was what I was going to do. And I was like, oh, I know the world of film so well. I'm so I, I'm so in that community. Oh, that'll be my future. And then in my senior year of high school, uh, my high school program, uh, Les Mis, uh, and I got to play Valjean in that production, and it was the first time in my life. Then I'd been a part of a piece of musical theater and walked out of it going, wow, that was so profoundly emotionally fulfilling. I don't know that I've ever achieved an experience like this before. I didn't know I was capable of something like this. Maybe I'll pursue this thread and see where it goes. And uh, I ended up going to York University for theater uh, and sort of completely repivoted my sights there. 
and that was kind of the start of my, I guess, musical theater nerddom. Um, and I was sort of getting into the world of the Toronto musical theater scene and feeling it all out. And the last show I saw live before the pandemic began uh, was Sunday in the Park with George. Uh, Evan Buehling, Tess Benger, Gods of the Theater. Um, and the fact that that was the last show I saw live meant that I had so much time in lockdown to just sit alone with my thoughts. And my thoughts kept coming back to, what the hell was that show? And how did it work? How did what I see just work? There's this uh, there's this song at the beginning of the show, the title number, Sunday in the Park with George. And there's this like strange musical accompaniment that pops up right in the very beginning. It's all, it's all over the place. It's bum, bum, ba-dum, ba-dum, bum, bum, ba-dum, ba-dum. And I'm sitting there as I'm watching it going, it's working. How does that work? How does that sound good? And I, and, and it was, I just spent so many months delving into all of the music and all of the words of this show and trying to uncover all of these deeper layers to the show. Every time I would give it a rewatch or a re-listen, I'd discover something new about this show. Uh, and, and that was what sort of springboarded me into the, the, my, my Stephen Sondheim lunacy, which I think is the thing that has cemented me as a, as a musical theater person forever. I think those works were the things that really, really drew me into the idea of these are works of art that can be so rich and so fulfilling and so meticulously thought out and can be so satisfying on so many different layers. They can be profound and they can be joyful and they can be meaningless and silly and they can be pretty bad even. And no matter what, you'll always walk out of it feeling something significant has happened, feeling that you have experienced something significant, something that has been labored over. Um, and that's something that I've just always found very profound and very beautiful about the the world of musical theater altogether. And uh, I uh, I don't see those hooks uh, unlatching anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. So the, your production of Merrily We Roll Along uh, opens on February 22nd. So it's coming up relatively quickly as we are, as we record this, we are just ending the month of January. Um, as this show goes into production, you've been working on it for so many years um what are you most looking forward to each of you uh when this show finally opens i can't start this one someone else has got to jump <laughs> i'll go i'll go you know there there are so many things um but i think if i had to pick one the amount of intelligent, well thought out, thorough, deeply skilled people that are working on this show that nobody in this city has heard of is astounding to me. And I think that we have built something that is so far beyond what anybody's understanding of indie musical theater is. And I'm really excited for the city of Toronto to experience these people and their brilliance and have their mind expanded as to what something can look like if it's not associated with a 20-year-old organization. 
Awesome. Um, I think for me, um, because Josh and I have been working so closely on this as a creative team for three years, um, and we've, we've, yeah, <laughs> I, Josh just went, what? <laughs> um, yeah, we, I mean, him and I have had so, so many conversations about what we wanted this thing to look like in so many different capacities. When I first joined the project, I was assistant directing. This time around, I'm assistant directing and choreographing, which is very special to me because, as I kind of mentioned earlier, dance is what got me into all of this in the first place. And I hadn't had the opportunity to choreograph a show since just before the pandemic. Um, and it's just, it's so magical to see all those ideas come to fruition bit by bit by bit by bit. Like we had a rehearsal last night where Josh and I turned to each other and went, oh my God, we have a show. We've done it. This is like, it's there. It's it's like everything we talked about for the last three years, it's finally happening. And if I can be so bold, I think the thing that I'm really the most excited about is to sit next to Josh in the audience on opening night and watch it happen. There's awesome. this- uh, Josh, how about you? There, yeah, just to bounce off you, Shannon, there's, um, there's, there's a favorite lyric of ours uh, in- uh, in Merrily Roll Along, in the song It's a Hit, in which uh, the characters are standing outside of the premiere, of, uh, uh, outside of the premiere of their Broadway debut as writers. And they are hugging each other and spinning around and laughing, dancing. And they sing, if it only even runs a minute, at least it's a wedge. It's the theater and we're really in it, not just on the edge. And I think that really embodies that, that, um, what that journey's been for us and the fact that we're finally getting it up um and that's something that i find profoundly special but for me the thing that i'm really the most excited about um is one of the things that i get most excited about with shifting ground altogether it's the notion that we are about to show off so many of the future stars of the canadian musical theater scene um the the the, the central reason i think we all started this together was that idea of platforming emerging artists and supporting the artists who need that first step who have just gotten out of school and who are sort of grinding the axe running around to all the different dance calls and all the summer stock venues and trying to get their foot up and trying to work their way up the door and the fact that there just aren't that many opportunities like that in the city of toronto a lot of musicals in the city will sort of cycle around a lot of the same performers you will see all of your favorites in every musical all the time and they'll keep getting ping pong back and forth and it's it's nice in building that connection and building that community and really familiarizing these yourself with these wonderful artists but you also think how do i get in how do, how do i bump into this circle is there a way to or are these people just getting passed back and forth and so with this production we really get an opportunity to get toronto audiences in the door and to showcase the people that we think are going to be making up the future of this industry so that they're walking out of the show and they're going gosh that one that one person who was in the lead gosh they were fantastic i can't wait to see the next thing they do and then all the people who you know start that word of mouth start drumming up that awareness of this person get some credits on the resume and hopefully sort of help propel them into a career and give them that hands-on experience that they need uh university degrees just kind of aren't enough anymore it really is about that hands-on experience with musical theater and i'm really excited to be uh offering that 
to folks. Yeah, and yeah. you know, there's this Absolutely. there's this funny Absolutely. thing about Merrily, where people think that it's this really cynical, depressing musical, and like I guess you could interpret it that way, but we've we've never seen it like that. Um, and I know there's also like lots of people who make the argument that you know you can, you can't do Merrily with a cast of young people because they just don't get the show. Um, and I'm also I'm really excited to for the people who do know this musical to reinvent it for them a little bit and and show them the the hope and the belief in the future and the reminder <clears throat> that like it's never too late it's never too late to go back to the thing that made you so excited and so passionate about life in the first place um and to sort of take this musical that everybody thinks is is about how dreams are only out there to die and and remind people that their dreams are just still there waiting Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Well, Shannon, Josh, Collette, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate you giving me your time. And uh, uh, I, I can't wait to see what you guys do in the future. Thank you so much for having us. And congratulations on, I believe, your penultimate episode of Stageworthy? Yes, indeed. It will be. This is going to be the penultimate episode of Stageworthy. So well, congratulations. Um, the one after truly. this it will be the last one. Thank you uh, so much. Thank you. It's it's like it, you know I've I've this podcast has seemed like you know this really lovely staple of the Toronto indie community and this chance to spotlight all these artists I've I've really admired seeing your episodes come in over the past like few years and it's uh it's it's just just thank you very much for putting it for putting in all this work to such a great initiative. Well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me... You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Worthy.